and we're back welcome to printer games podcast the podcast is about what's new and awesome in 3d printing for gaming i'm one of your hosts jefferson j thacker and i'm joined by kristen sowards also known as seventh mastery and kristen we often talk about fantasy role-playing and mm-hmm. sci-fi role-playing and mm-hmm. a whole lot of fantasy and sci-fi wargaming but we we owe all of the gaming roots to the historical games that have come before we decided to throw dragons and everything like on every level really you know yeah. from chainmail before yeah like it goes yeah we do but we don't really get to talk about much about that because i have heard the words bolt action i have uh straightened the osprey rack at many a bookstore i have worked at oh yes <laughs> That is interesting. It's an interesting rack where everything has blue covers and evidently a new game comes out every week. Or something. Yeah, I don't know. Like the 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 army guides, I'm just confused by them though. There's no demons or aliens. <laughs> so to help us understand why there are entire books dedicated to the correct color of Prussian uniforms is Wyndham Graves. Wyndham! Hey! Hey, how's it going, guys? <laughs> And you probably don't know anything about the correct color of Prussian uniforms, right? I mean, there better not be a current color of Prussian uniforms. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> With um, you are a modeler. You've got a ton, like a metric crap ton of models available on your Thingiverse page. I'm noticing that they're all free. That's a weird thing. Um, and... And they're they're all historical, but twentieth century historical. So, Wyndham, could you just give us a, a little bit of a, a an elevator pitch about what you do? So, I've been doing twentieth century models, kind of a combination of that's the kind of games that I like to do. I like to play from you know about nineteen hundred to about now, um, and well, I should say about nineteen fourteen ish to about now. But we'll talk about that later. Um, and it also just happens to be the skills that I have in 3D modeling really go with a lot of the vehicles and um, buildings and industrial objects that exist through that time period. So it's uh, kind of works really well for me. Um, the models being for free is simply because I don't like the current way that models are being done. I understand why they're done the way they are. And I think that that has a lot of value. Um, But I was told that the internet was presaging our uh, post-scarcity future and want to kind of try to push it that direction. Uh, So what I ask is that people pay me for the time that I'm spending and then all the models that I produce are free kind of in the same way that your local library or Wikipedia might go about it, right? We all pay in a little bit when they ask us to donate for Wikipedia and then Wikipedia stays going. Uh, So I'm asking for the same thing, but for models. So the true meaning of Patreon, right? Yeah, really actually a patron, like you're a rich guy and I'm the weird artist dude that lives in the cave in the woods. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I like your vision of the future, and I would like to subscribe to your newsletter. Yeah, it's not a good one. <laughs> yeah, and it has uh, it's going to be like Art Deco for the design of the newsletter, almost certainly based off these uh, these. Models. Pretty much, I'm I'm a big um, so I do 20th century stuff, but I should say that it's 20th century with a bell curve around the middle of World War II. 
Um, mm-hmm. I'm a, like, I, I was a sci-fi kid growing up. I loved all mm-hmm. that stuff. I love 40K and all that. But like, I grew up on like Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford being in Star Wars as well. Those always kind of felt like they should have been the same character and they were very linked in my mind. So like that mm-hmm. between the wars sort of diesel punk kind of fantasy but very real sort of feeling that was just always felt right to me so were you big into pulp stuff not originally i was i was really big into 40k uh when i was younger because like Mm -hmm. the excess really like spoke to me but now i think the um the mix of reality with that little bit of fuzzy edges about what could have happened or what would have happened if, if, you know, X occurred. Uh, so the way I like to describe it is I'm, I'm very much a, uh, a diesel punk fan with a side of like universal monsters. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Actually the car you're showing right now is currently painted up for my Dracula Romanians. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so explain Dracula Romanians. What? What? So, uh, because I, I, I do mainly skirmish stuff because I can't convince uh, my group of people to, to play bigger games. So the struggle is real. The struggle is real. Um, and so my um, explaining something like 40K is really difficult to like normal people, like people who aren't into gaming because mm-hmm. it's just absolute Looney Tunes. Like it's great if you know it. Like if you know the lore, it's absolutely engrossing and incredible. But if you just like explain it to somebody who's never heard about it at a party, you're going to get some real weird looks. Mm-hmm. And straight historical stuff is oftentimes just really boring for people who aren't into it. Mm-hmm. So stuff like zombies versus Nazis or stuff like Dracula versus uh, werewolves and things like that that we can pull out of pulp is a very easy way to get people into a universe without actually having to do much construction of that universe. Like, we all know how werewolves should act. We all know how vampires should act. We all know how a guy with a rifle acts. We all know how a guy with a pistol acts. We all know what a tank looks and sounds like from movies. So you're using the tropes in order to shortcut the and get to talking about what you want to talk about. Correct. I want to tell good stories and have good games, and I don't want to have to explain, you know, a thousand years of lore. Like mm-hmm. it's fine if we just drop in and you know what vampires kind of do. That that we're good. We're done. Let's go. Mm-hmm. This is this is oddly like you're trying to isekai my way back into to historicals. So I, I'm all for <laughs> it. I'm I'm honestly if if adding Dracula, to, Dracula kind of just makes everything a little bit more interesting. So I'm all for it. Well, also. It's fun to do the, like, there's two ways to do it. One, you can do the really small skirmish stuff, and you can have really involved characters with really complex stats and abilities and things like that. But also, like, can you just shove this into, like, a one-page rules army and make it work and see how does Dracula, as this super-powered individual character, handle fighting a tank or, you know, a horde army of Germans or whatever. So you can have a lot of fun with it from both ends. Excellent. I approve. Oh, yeah. And the guy so, that uh, commented the Gene Steeler cult limo. Yeah. Some of those old French cars and Italian cars make absolutely excellent, excellent Gene Steeler cult limos. 
I was thinking um, it kind of reminds me of the New Capenna um, Magic the Gathering aesthetic, and, yeah. which is obviously inspired by that same period, and um, that people could convert that very easily into that kind of those magic limos and things that they did in that. So I was like, oh, so that is very much the in, the interwar look, which would be the time period between World War One and World War Two. So you're looking at like 1918 all through uh, the Roaring Twenties, through the Great Depression, into the pre-war era, and generally that ends at about 1938-39 when World War II starts. So if I say interwar, I'm talking about 1918 through 1938. And uh, I need a, a small pause, gentlemen, because that is the booger bark coming from outside. <laughs> uh, keep the audience entertained, you two. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. I'm, I'm going to ask a question then. Since it seems like you're pretty flexible on, on like, you know, historical period, but with like maybe a little fantastic elements. Um, so that, that comes from a few things. One, I, it's more interesting to do what ifs than it is to refight something that already happened. Refighting something that already happened just means that if you get it wrong, you're do you did something wrong. Right, cool. right, and, right. It, and, it's like doing a math test and getting the wrong answer. Like, no, that's no fun. But like, if I give you an essay and I say, "Hey, what would happen if I did X, Y, and Z?" You'd give me one cool story, and then I say, "Okay, well, what would happen if we did X, Y, Z, and A?" Then you give me yet another cool story uh, that could be completely different. Yeah. So when I was working in the shops and stuff uh, long ago. And I hope the community is more evolved now because it was like 1994 the last time I was selling Osprey books. But, um, well, at least not in a bookstore, I guess. It was in a gaming store. But our Warhammer gamers and our Osprey gamers did not jive. They did not like each other. And I'm wondering, has that been a, has there been any pushback to your hybrid approach or has have people been pretty accepting of it? I don't think so. I think especially with things like one page rules and with things like GW just kind of um, uh, soiling the bed on some of their <laughs> community relations stuff, since this is PG-13, I've been asked. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, that I think that some people are looking, f they're, they're reaching out. And now with things like 3D printing, like you could take uh, one of these tanks and just trim the gun off and put a plasma cannon on it and just go. You can drill one of the hatches out and put an orc on top and you're ready to rock. Like it's just, I feel like it's a little bit more free flow than it used to be. Um, mm -hmm. Mainly just for the availability of information and models. That's fair. And with 3D printing, it does like, it takes a little bit of skill to go to your hobby shop in the historical aisle and finding the right scale tank and then doing a pretty decent job of also having to buy the the GW equivalent tank or using the spare parts that you didn't use when you built your Predator and you want to you know put the big plasma cannon on this. And then to smoothly merge those two with green stuff and hacksaws and all this jazz to make it look good. Whereas in 3D printing, just shift delete barrel merge giant <laughs> plasma gun waba wabam might as well throw a symbol of the emperor and a skull of a necron on here while i'm at it and it looks like i bought it right out of the kit click click go and, and even if you want to do it traditionally that 3d printing isn't a barrier to doing it traditionally like i actually do most of my like hacks traditionally mm -hmm. even though i do the models from scratch i'll print out two of them and just cut them together because there's some 
joy in that. Like there's mm. some of the hobby fun of, of when I was younger and hacking together rhinos. Um, yeah, like there's, there's a lot of fun in that, in that hand doing of it. And when I make a model for the tabletop, the 3d print is just really the start. Uh, like I shoot mainly for FDM. So you have some textural issues, especially around small detail components and things like that. So by adding on any sort of hand modeled components and then painting it up, you really do hide and kind of camouflage some of the, the inherent issues with an FDM print. Now you mentioned that um, right off is like your stuff really does seem to support like you, it's almost like you put a warning on any of your parts that kind of need resin. And most of your stuff is assuming an FDM print. Why did you go with uh, an FDM first kind of styling? Correct. So I did the FDM first stuff for two reasons. One, because, and the, the easiest thing is that if you make it for FDM, it will print on resin. If you make it for resin, it does not necessarily print well on FDM. And then the second thing is, is that uh, at the very beginning, we joked about finding people to play with is always the hardest thing, right? So mm -hmm. making this hobby accessible, making it easy to get into is like, job number one in, in in my opinion people always ask me about like well what do you think 3d printing is doing to the hobby what do you think it's doing to all these manufacturers it's like no, no no the most important thing is we get more people into the hobby that's job one um and the thing with fdm is not only is it easier for most people because fdm printers are just less infrastructure requirements like right they may not be easier to do themselves like to maintain the object but there's less extraneous stuff that has to go into making a um, to making an FDM printer work. Uh, you can just peel it right off. You can glue it together, and you're good to go. There's no ickiness yeah. to it. And another thing that uh, recently I've been thinking about is that you, if you have a local li library that has printers, they don't have resin printers. They do have FDM printers. And so if you need a tank, or if you just need like one or two little pieces of terrain and you don't have an FDM printer, but you do have a resin printer, that's fine. Just take this stuff to your library. They are oftentimes very, very excited to have somebody come and use their equipment. Well, yeah, I, was, uh, I can speak speak to uh, some authority here on this one, is because they have to justify that their equipment gets used. Yep. So, and mm -hmm. so they want you to read the books they even if you just pick up a book and flip through it they can count that as a circulation and everybody that signs the logbook that they actually use the printer helps to justify that they can provide that stuff and it might not seem much to uh, many of us i imagine many of the hobbyists listening to this channel just based off the demographic information i have access to um through our analytics you know using the the the, uh, the library isn't so much a necessity as it, it, it can be for a lot of populations and by and it's important that even if you don't need to use your local library to go and use it anyway so they continue to get the funding they need to help the people that absolutely need it well, what a well, great thing to teach beginners with too sorry go ahead correct yeah and and it's one of those things it's like you may not need it but if you go and do it and make sure that like the system works like you take a file to your local library you print it out you get the print you take it to your gaming store and then that 12 year old kid who comes in and says i only have enough money for this one box of dudes you say okay for the tank that you need to go with that here's your process go here ask this person they will help you mm -hmm. Uh, and that and that can be like the difference between somebody being like joining the hobby or them 
not buying that box of miniatures and going back to the video games that they were probably playing. Uh, and it doesn't not not say anything bad about video games. I love them too, uh, but generally that's the competition. I'm noticing that besides a bunch of um, the besides focusing on FDM, you focus on rather large objects or medium size. Like uh, by large objects, I'm saying vehicles. Correct. I saw that you did a a a. Uh, a mobile kitchen that was a that was one of your objects yeah so, so you're going you're going big so essentially i do things bigger than like a desk i guess would be i'm trying to think of like bigger than a meter box let's put it that that let's put it that way um and the reason that is is because at 1 100 or at 150 whatever scale you want to use that's about where fdm looks good uh, anything smaller than that FDM doesn't look good. There's another thing that's really important, which is small arms, like rifles and pistols and bazookas and whatever, oftentimes scale with the model. So if your model is very heavily um, heroic scaled, the weapons heroic scale with it. They, they are not true scale things anymore. Whereas all the stuff that I that I do, as much as possible, these are all true scale. So if you measure from like the front wheel to the back wheel, and you go to the museum and you measure from the front wheel to the back to the back wheel, that's correctly scaled. So then you can choose. So like I actually don't. Most people say that twenty eight millimeter is one fifty six scale, uh, mm -hmm. which is it's just not like it. it it's like one forty eight this way. It's one forty eight wide and one fifty six tall or something like that. It's whatever it's very loose um but everything that i do is exactly to one 100 that way when you scale it to whatever intermediary size you actually are going to use it as you can pick so i do 152 because i think that that looks right right it looks right to me but as a designer it's not really my place to choose what looks right on your tabletop you get to pick right okay so so for us gamers that aren't into the education of scale could you could you go back because like we talk about scale when in in in, a, in fantasy gaming it's like it's a 28 millimeter model it's a 32 millimeter model and we say and this one's true scale 28 millimeter and this one is heroic scale and just to background from from that it means from the base of the model to eye level of the average height human individual is 28 millimeters. And then heroic is whether or not the face, hands, and weapons are exaggerated in order to Correct. present detail. And that's one of the reasons that I avoided is just because I don't want to deal with the vagarities of that. So um, there is actually a scale. So 28 millimeters is that distance from bottom of foot to, to middle of eye line. Um, Generally, that is construed as 156. So one human unit, or, or if you put 56 of them tall next to you, it would be the same height as you. Okay. Um, Do I have enough hiles? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so if you print it out, you know, a 28 millimeter model of you, in theory, that's 156 tall. Heroic stuff is, heroic stuff is often considered 148 in the X and Y. Uh, mm. So slightly different on that on that aspect. Um, you also have the heroic stuff, which, as you said, certain features are much much bigger. 
That's why I don't do small arms because those certain features happen to be hands and hands have to interact with small arms. So that becomes just a whole nother night, a whole nother nightmare. Yeah, that's why uh, when you 3D print the real sized bolters, it's like you're holding a suitcase. <laughs> correct. And your hand doesn't fit around the grip and any of that stuff. It's because those they're they're not they're not real. They're they're not really scaled. And that's another thing with doing historical modeling is I can actually be wrong. Right? If you make a uh if you make a proxy for a rhino, you can't be wrong, really. Like you can be right. a little bit too big for the tabletop or a little bit too small or whatever. But it's not wrong. Like I can make models where somebody will be like, "That's wrong. Like this needs to be over there, or this is too small, or this is too big." And so that's a very interesting thing where there is actually a little bit of it has to be right, uh, which is real weird. <laughs> so how do you make sure it's right? How do you know that you modeled correctly a Type ninety eight Rokay? So that is a Japanese artillery tractor. So it's this art tractor you pull around big guns with. Um, it also, in my opinion, would make an absolutely excellent like goblin whatever vehicle, like lots of goblins on top with guns. Uh, but so the way that I do that is generally I'll find reference images that already have dimensions on them, or I'll pull dimensions off of museum websites or off of Wikipedia. Uh, check all three dimensions versus drawings or versus images. And if they line up, I usually leave it alone. If they don't line up, then I have to start finding other dimensions that I know to be certain things and then scale it and match it. I just finished a model that I had to do all of the scaling off of the size of the front tire. And thankfully, some <laughs> company in like Ohio still sells the tires for it. So wow. get an out, like the, the outer diameter on that tire. <laughs> That's a heck of an extrapolation. Well done. I mean, it's how... really just to make sure it's close enough because most people aren't going to ever print it one-to-one. -one. Like, I, I just don't want anybody to ever print one and then feel bad about having printed it. So as long as it's within plus or minus maybe 3%, I'm fine with that. And you said that most people don't print one-to-one. -one. Have you ever had somebody, like, 3D print? Like, let's get me a Jeep, Jeep-sized. So I do have a one quarter scale Sherman suspension that I've been working on, which is the American World War II tank. But that's a totally different product. That's a totally di different, stupid, pro uh, stupid project for my toddler. Um, and does no, the community no, have the, the biggest I've ever seen is probably somebody doing a one eighth or one sixth scale, which is still pretty big. I don't, I don't even know what a one six scale tank would be a power wheel like can a toddler drive it uh no it would be like your cat could drive it my cat yeah. does not need a tank one quarter scale is about where a child could drive it comfortably <laughs> nice yeah. Oh goodness! Uh, now, how, do you, does the community like? Does it like really get into that? It's like, do they call out? Ooh, the headlights in the wrong spot, or that's not the kind of bolt they use there. So I specifically design my stuff to what I refer as tabletop quality, okay. which is this is not to be used in a diorama. This is not to be used for historical reference. This is to be used on the tabletop with your other little soldiers to have a good time. Uh, so I actually specifically, not only do I, so in um, historicals, it's referred to as rivet counting, uh, mm -hmm. where you count the rivets and if they're wrong, everybody gets real sad. Um, in older historicals, it's referred to as, 
oh, they have some word for it. It's like button counting or stitch something. It, there's some offensive word for it that I can't remember. Um, I, oh, sni- uh, stitch sniffers uh, for the for like the Napoleonics. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But yeah, so I just avoid that entirely by I don't do rivets because rivets uh, don't scale well. Like if you have a one one hundred rivet and then scale it up to one fifty six, it looks like there's an orange stuck to the side of your vehicle, and that's no good. <laughs> um, so I just take take them off entirely. If you want to put them on, a tiny little dab of paint makes a perfect rivet, uh, and I don't have to model them on. And then you can choose your size for your rivets. Uh, but there's another thing in that rivets don't print well on FDM printers because they cause they they cause oscillations in the head, right? You literally yeah. are setting up a harmonic resonance when you go bump out straight, bump out straight, bump out straight. Well, you just set up this little wave pattern that your printer is going to freak out about. Um, and if you have any loose belts at all, it's going to just ruin it. So like the tank you just pulled up, the Mark V female, which is the World War One British tank, should have rivets on every panel. But honestly, it does not look good with them. It looks much, much better clean. And also for those people who want to take these models and use them for science fiction and stuff like that, you don't want the rivets on there. Because then if you stick together a part that has rivets and a part that doesn't, it looks really weird, right? It, it's, it's, it's incongruous. Whereas if none of it has rivets and then you paint the rivets on, everything matches, it's all the same scale and it just works. Uh, yeah, and for those of you at home who are listening to this after, you can just go on uh, Thingiverse and you should be able to look at all these models. Right. Yeah, the Mark V, it, it looks like a rhino backing up, if I had to describe it. It's, <laughs> it's got like cool wedge and it's got very, very tiny gun. So this it's is, kind of what a... the Lehman Russ is based on. Like if you look at a mm. Lehman Russ and just shorten it by half, but leave it the same height, you're getting about the same uh, body structure. James has thanked you for the term stitch sniffing. Um, uh, I think specifically in reference to quilting because I yes, know that's yeah. the other hobby. But now that I have it, I'm thinking it's just a really great fantasy era insult. Yes, it's just anything before you have armor. <laughs> I like it. All right. So we're we're talking about uh your design process what uh what software do you jump into are you a blender guru these are made in zbrush so i use blender only when i need something soft and i'm really bad at it uh and i just do not want to take the time to get better at the soft stuff because even in the real world i'm bad at doing like organic modeling so there's no way i'm gonna just magically be good at it digitally um Mm -hmm. So I use a piece of software called Rhino, uh, Rhinoceros 3D. And it is just, if you're if you're from the graphic design world, which I am, my, my undergrad was in graphic design, uh, it looks like Illustrator. It acts a lot like Illustrator does. And then once you use it for a while, you realize that Illustrator is garbage and Rhino is way better. Uh, so now I use Rhino for even my 2D design stuff and then just color it in uh, later on with Illustrator. But yeah, Rhinoceros is great. It's a little expensive. Um, the student version is reasonably priced. The professional one is about a thousand bucks. Oh my gosh. It, um, I think the student one's 150 ish or $200, which is a lot. But if you like do the movie dollar time equivalent you pay for it pretty quickly 
Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I, I do suggest is that it is not for soft surface modeling. It is just a mechanical modeler. But for that, it is very, very good. And um, it has a plugin called Grasshopper, which allows you to do programmatic stuff in a very easy way. So if you're an art person that wants to like get into the programming of 3D models, Grasshopper is super easy to get into. Uh, and it makes it really, really easy to try. Oh yeah, Rhino is a full CAD product. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, it has a full programming la- language that's really easy to use because it's not lines of code. You actually just plug in these little modules and then like the output of your first module just plugs into the back of the next one and you just keep doing that until you get the object that you want. So it's it's a lot of fun if you need to make a lot of similar but not the same objects. And so what was your background to, to get you into where you're just toying around with Rhino to make not fake Rhinos? So, yeah, yeah. I specifically do not do copies of any fictional intellectual property. That's right out. Mm-hmm. And I tell right. Patreon people that immediately that I will not do that. Um, but anyway, uh, so I grew up kind of a car kid. My parents were car people. So I grew up Mm -hmm. with that, working on the house, doing that stuff, went to school, was like, oh, let's go do engineering. And I was like, this math is hard. So I stopped doing that and, (laughs) uh, decided to get a degree in graphic design. Then I graduated in 2008, right when the economy took a huge poop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, all right, well, I'll apply to one grad, one grad school. If I get in, I'll go to grad school. If not, I'll go get a job. Got into grad school, uh, did um, sculpture and new media stuff at Florida State for three years. And then uh, we actually got our first 3D printer that Christmas. So Christmas 2008 was the first 3D printer that we got. And it was a powder-based printer where it like pulls powder across and sprays an adhesive in and then pulls more powder across. It's Nobody uses it anymore, pretty much. Actually, some of the color stuff might be still be that technology um, because it, it could print in color back then. Right. Um, but yeah, so lots of cool tech, tech, lots of cool tech toys, and just Rhino was just the piece of software that just made sense to me, and I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, because we've interviewed a lot of creators, and you're the first to mention Rhino. So yep. awesome. I mean, I'm glad it to hear that there's still more to discover in the world. It's used by all sorts of people. It's used a lot by um, the two industries in which it has the best penetration by percentage is jewelry and naval architecture, to give you an idea of how bizarre <laughs> no. the piece of software it is. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's a weird piece of kit, but if you like it, it is the right thing. If you don't like it, it is not the right thing. Yeah. Now, besides the, um, I'm noticing on your models, you have a whole lot of vehicles, of course, yeah. and then you have interesting structures or interesting side bits. And I'm curious so as like why, how you decide what it is. Are you talking about? So, like, here is the Kiosk 67, and I had to Google this and to see how absolutely <laughs> pervasive it was in the world. Um, so but how do you is, select this sort of stuff? Honestly, about, I would say, 95-ish percent of it is somebody on Patreon being like, hey, look at this cool thing. And that's just, like, nerd <laughs> bait. And then so I'm just like, yeah, all right, that's the coolest thing I've seen today. And then so, uh, that model gets built. Um, so but, explain the Kiosk 67, which looks like a porta potty mixed with a um, 
a a a uh, air hot dog stand. Yeah, hot dog yeah. Stand. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a it's a party party hot, hot dog stand. stand. That's the perfect mix. Uh, if you if you go to Thingiverse and you search Kiosk sixty seven or just look at it on my page, there's actually a link to an architectural review blog in that thing, and that gives you a much better description than I can give. But it's essentially a prefabricated box with doors on it and it was used in like the soviet union in the 70s for like these weird little kiosk things and it's just a really cool piece of architecture so i just wanted one that was very easy to modify so if like in the thing files you you can get all the individual pieces for it but there's also one just called sampler on most of these when i build a big complicated thing i, I build one called sampler and the sampler one gives you enough pieces to just try it out and then you can go back and actually pick all the pieces that you want print those pieces and then attach it uh and the nice thing about this kit is because the original was so modular it's very easy to make the 3d printed one super modular mm -hmm. so yeah up on the screen right now you have the sampler one which essentially gives you enough to build the the one that i have in the picture on thingiverse mm -hmm. yeah it's like lot. it's yeah it's just like a lot of like little tunnels and cubes that just look like they slot into each other and i guess this is so pretty so, close so to the real the, one so the the original is essentially if you look at it from the top it's just a a cross right there's four door door ends and then you can either hook a door end to another module or slide one of these door things into it so because of that it was very easy to make the 3d printed one super modular too but if you need like a science fiction little science outpost these are perfect i was about to say like yeah for like that or like cyberpunk or whatever yeah. like and the nice thing about things like cyberpunk like grimdark is a little different but for cyberpunk specifically the nice thing about cyberpunk is all digital things are generally just some real world thing modeled digitally like it's some haptic thing that we've chosen and we're like oh we really like that right like the save icon is a floppy disk we reuse stuff from the real world and we take it into our digital lives and then that's just the thing forever. So the nice thing about all this stuff is you can take any of these objects, paint them black, edge highlight them green, and they're perfect for any of your cyberpunk stuff. <laughs> right? Because like, you can just make them fake wireframes and, and they look great. Question I'm not sure I understand from JJ in chat asks, what website do you guys use to print now? Um, hmm. I mean, I print most of my own stuff at home. Uh, I don't use a website service. I think I've used Shapeways a few times when I needed to have something printed before I had printers. Um, or, but I, if you're talking about what websites I use to get my stuff at, well, Thingiverse is still a great website to get stuff at. I printables is slowly growing to try to challenge that market. And then my mini factory as probably the other one and cults when you wish to venture down the dark roads. <laughs> I was about to say, I think I, I printed an owl when I worked at Barnes and Noble for our maker fair. But other than that, everything I've printed has been on my own stuff. Mm -hmm. Have you ever used a print service? Um, yeah, actually my, uh, my, my wedding ring and my wife's wedding rings are, oh. um, are all 3d printed so those are metal 3d prints from shapeways shapeways uh, but yeah. actually since i don't actually wear my wedding ring and it's on eh, not that you can see it on camera zoom, zoom. <laughs> i'll put it back up 
Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see if we can get it in focus. There we go. It's so it's, it's very squarular. Uh, yep. But yeah, stainless steel 3D printed from Shapeways. So that's essentially what I use. And I think what most people probably use print services for is when you're doing a material that is like the printer that prints this is $3 million. It's like, okay, let's <laughs> not buy that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've been hearing a lot of people shout out to PCB ways for this. Um, a few different YouTube channels um, have been using that. I have no experience using it, but that might be one too. Yeah. Like evidently they started live doing custom PCBs, but you can like get stuff custom CNC or 3D printed from them now too. Um, can I respond? The, the, yeah. Uh, there's a naval architecture question mark. Um, oh. Naval architecture is simply the design of boats that are bigger than things you call boats. So as soon as you start calling it a ship, that's probably called naval architecture. So, do you yeah. know where the line is between a boat and a ship? Oh, God, the difference between a boat and a yacht is like 26 feet or 22 feet, somewhere in that range. So I do not know what the difference between that and a ship is. I don't know. Okay. It's, it's been a while. <laughs> uh, we... I was hoping that we might know because the only the closest I've ever gotten to that debate is Buddy McBoatface. Let's see. Anyway, and for those uh, for those of you who are not uh, familiar uh, with the uh, Buddy McBoatface, uh, do you either of you know this one? Oh yeah. yeah. So a quick Google says that there is no real difference. Oh, wonderful. There is no real difference. Therefore, uh, they lied to us. They lied to us. Yep. So can we call dinghies naval architecture then? No. I would say as <laughs> another way to think about it is architecture is something that you inhabit. So that's another way to think about okay. it. Is that as you start going you can go in a cabin, maybe. Uh, yeah. yep. I like that. I like that. See, Catlet is making the claim that ships have boats. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah, boats do not have ships. <laughs> I have I have a boat. Am I a ship? <laughs> uh, so we've talked about we've got these really cool things. You've got lots of historical stuff. Uh, we've 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 uh, we've explored the madness that is scale. What what do we use these things for? What why would I want to print out this really cool? tank and stuff what games do you play with this stuff Wyndham? so it totally depends um mm -hmm. i think that we've talked a little bit about like if you play like one of the cyberpunk games it's a real easy dragon to just mm -hmm. like be like oh we're doing we're pulling some of this stuff from the roaring 20s into our you know 2120s so, yeah it's just paint that thing. limo up synth wave and exactly mm -hmm. um and I play a variety of stuff, a lot of them being Osprey Blue Book, the, the little like 64 page rules mm -hmm. and just roll some dice and see what happens. Uh, one page rules, I got a few games of that in recently that, that were pretty good. And I played uh, US Marines as the Rebel something or the other, mm -hmm. Rebel Guerrillas. Mm -hmm. um, and that worked fine, worked great. It looked right, it felt right. Um, and so I think that there, there are obvious easy ways to pull it in. But for, for games that I play, Bolt Action is definitely one that I spend the most time in. Uh, another one, if you just want to print out some tanks and do tank first tank stuff, I would like to call out um, Two Fat Lardies made a game called What a Tanker. And that <laughs> game is 
really a ton of fun. It does not make any damn sense when you start it, but uh, once you get into it, it's like, oh yeah, this totally makes sense. None of these guys know what's going on and it's a complete disaster and we'll get there eventually. Because <laughs> you got to think that it's like, it's five guys in a metal box with a bunch of guns and nobody knows what's going on and it's loud and it's hot and nobody can see anything because like your vision slit is this big and it's it's ridiculous. But it's a ton of fun to put on the tabletop and it feels really different than other stuff. And that's one thing that I like about the, the 20th century stuff is it just gives you a really wide range of experiences. Mm -hmm. Like you can have the full range in that time period. You can have what it's like for like two guys to just fight each other. You can have what it's like for a, you know, big fleet of tanks to go against another fleet of tanks. You can do the mix in between. You can do naval stuff. You can do air stuff. You can do all sorts of things. I've just confirmed it uh, via Google searching, um, but one of my favorite anime would be absolutely appropriate for this. Uh, Girls in Panzer. Girls in Panzer has there. a tabletop there game. Here's a, here's a Panzer Four with the girls in it. Let me see it. Let me see it. Pull it up. Pull well, it up. Well, yeah. Oh. Is the, that a model that you bought, scale. or did you make? Yeah, that, that my, my wife got me this for I think Christmas last, um, yes. last year. But yeah, we have... watched that, and that's actually how I convinced them to play Two Fat Lard mm -hmm. to, to Two Fat Lardies. Um, I would so highly recommend that anime to anybody. Period. <laughs> so, if you think that the tanks are cool and you need kind of that impetus to get them on the tabletop, I think that um, Girls in Panzer is an absolutely excellent thing. Considering I could get my wife mm -hmm. and my female roommate to put tanks on a table and roll dice, mm -hmm. uh, great. Great show. Just absolutely worth every penny. <laughs> nice. I just had to double check that they did eventually make tabletop games for it, and they did. So I would honestly just, if you want to play that on the tabletop, do What a Tanker. What a Tanker? Yeah. It, it's like, a, I think it's 15 bucks for the PDF um, from this British company that's just two guys that just write really obscure rules, but <laughs> it's honestly... It's simple and it's good, and that's all I ask. <laughs> I think you've just described all of Osprey. Yeah. Oh no, Th this makes Osprey look very mass market. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I love um, them because they start with a feeling and then work back towards the rules, which is a really cool way to go about it. Uh, like they're like, I want the game to feel like this, and then let's start putting rules on, and any rules that don't feel like that don't get put in. And it's just it's an interesting way to design stuff. That's an interesting way. Uh, like, where do you? How do you like your games designed? You've you've mentioned, uh, like you've you sent us a note in uh, of, of things you'd like to talk about, and you mentioned yeah. Hollywood game design as an as like as a topic. So I put that in kind of for the same thing that we talked about earlier. Is that using like we're used to abstraction, right? Like we we in the game world are used to abstraction, right? Like me shooting you in the face is a D6. If I get a six, you get shot in the face. Like we're, it's of course significantly more complicated than that in reality. Um, but in things like movies, we're very used to it being about as simple as that. So if you mm -hmm. watch Saving Private, 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 if you watch Saving Private Ryan, you don't, you don't actually see like the, oh, this guy was in the hospital for six months after that. The guy's either alive, dead, or injured right then in that moment. Uh, and that's all we see. And so that 
by using that, you can kind of move people into it very easily. Uh, like you take somebody off the tabletop, if you can explain to them that, oh yeah, this guy might not be dead, but he's just not useful anymore. So his model gets pulled off. Or this tank may, you know, still exist. You might have your guys come in and repair it this afternoon and it'll be back on the road tomorrow morning. But right now it's dead, quote unquote, right? It's not useful anymore. And that's something that like, I think that by using using Hollywood tropes, it's a really good and easy way to get people into why stuff is happening in games. We take it as for granted because we're used to games. We grew up with games, right? Like I probably played my first game of 40K before I saw my first uh, rated R movie. Um, and so you have kind of a, this is the way the world works, but most people don't have that. Hmm. I, uh, Not until Henry Cable comes in and, and educates everybody. And then everybody's coming in from every direction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, can you have Space Marine or uh, can you have Space Marine armor with your abs exposed? That's the question. Know, yeah, it's, but there's not going to be a bathtub scene in that one. <laughs> We're assuming um, he's going to be a Space Marine. I'm 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 absolutely 100% certain that he's going to be sexy McQuisitor. Oh, what, what wait, no, what was your abs thing? Was it It wasn't a vampire. Was it a oh, werewolf? It was No, it was, it was, no, no, it was a vampire. Okay. Was it a werewolf? That's a werewolf. I mean, yeah, okay. I've also done werewolf abs. Yes, yes, okay. yes. But my very okay. first abs. We've for also days done was tiefling the... abs on Twin yeah. Goddess Many. Oh, yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah, that's also good. Speaking of stuff, I do not model. <laughs> <laughs> oh, soft surface modeling. How many oh, also, of yeah, are on totally Henry Cavill's abs? You should totally come support my page, my Patreon, so I can do this for a career. So I can say I have a career in modeling. Please come do uh, that. Just for the joke <laughs> <of> parties. <laughs> so like where would where do you want this to go for you like do you want to be forever the modeler dude is like is this where the future of this hobby is going for you so the way i'm doing it right now is it's just essentially creating a public repository of these models they're not perfect mm -hmm. they're not the best ones you can definitely buy better versions of most of these things some of them they are the only one but for most of these, you could buy a better version of it if you want to spend, you know, 10 or 15 bucks. But what I want to do is kind of wipe out that crappy model for $3 because that's shit. I'm sorry. That's annoying. Um, and I don't like that. And I think it also really inhibits that entry level player from getting cool stuff on the tabletop. Right, because mm -hmm. if you could build your five D and D classes, or I don't, there's probably a billion D and D classes now. But if you 13. build those five, and none of the ones in the middle, like none of the interleaving ones, well, that would be boring, right? Because everybody would play those because that's what they could print, assuming they had to WYSIWYG it. Um, but by doing this, you wipe out that. And also, like, if I just stop doing this, if I just decide tomorrow that I don't want to do this anymore. Those models are still there. You guys can take them. And if Thingiverse goes down and you guys have these files, put them back up. They are published uh, Creative Commons um, CC BY non-commercial, non which means the only things you have to do is say, this model was designed by Wyndham Graves and you can't make money on it. That's it. But if Thingiverse goes down and you have these, put them back up, get them back on the internet. I don't care. That's the point. Uh, it's to put them out there. And also one really big advantage of that 
is that if you support one of these models, right? If you take one of these models and you make a really nice set of resin supports at a certain scale for it, it doesn't just sit on your hard drive. You can put it back on Thingiverse as a supported model and be a pal, right? Like you don't have to, how many supported models do we have on our hard drives that you spent all this time on and nobody else is ever gonna see them? Like mm -hmm. you're not even gonna see them again because you're probably not gonna print it again. And so like that sort of ability to share makes it super valuable to me. And mm -hmm. so what I'm trying to do is just kind of get to the point where I can be a contributing member of my household again uh, and be able to do this. Uh, so essentially right now my wife is providing me and us a, uh, a run out period for me to see if I can get this to a point where it's sustainable. But even if it's not sustainable, that's fine. All this stuff is still there. We, I noticed that during the filament days, before the resin 3D printing explosion, that sort of attitude was more common. Like Thingiverse was like kind of like the jam, and everybody was riffing off of each other's designs and remixing and customizing, and everything was being released under Creative Commons. And now that's not true anymore. Now it's so, like, oh, you and MZ4250 are the exceptions. Like it's it's like there's a very yes. few people putting stuff out into the public and encouraging remix cultures. And then you have some artists. They actually get grumpy when you kit bash using their parts. Mm -hmm. So I think that the, how do I say this? So I think that then this is just totally my opinion, but I think that the filament days, everybody knew it was a hack. Uh, the resin stuff is so good that people are coming at it from the point of I paid GW or I paid, um, Forge World, you know, $45 for this miniature. And so I expect to, you know, get a discount on that, but I expect this to still be an expensive thing. But for some reason, we're totally cool with the fact that like people do homebrew campaigns, people do podcasts, your podcast is published, like you can just go get this, this podcast, nobody paid for this podcast to be downloaded. Like there was no $1 for this podcast option. Mm -hmm. Um, and for some reason, that's, that's totally cool, but we're all, I hesitate to say this, but we're all almost so browbeaten by the price of GW stuff uh, that we just accept the fact that miniatures should be heinously expensive and resin is a workaround, but there's still this like idea that the cost has, the cost is an important part of it where I don't think that's the case. I think that the ability for us all to come together and play really amazing games, that's the point. The point is the amazing games. Everything that all the time we spend as DMs or game masters or you know modelers or people who write rules or whatever, all that time comes down to that moment where you sit down and actually play a game. I am, I am also glad that you are a game-focused modeler because i've noticed that there's very that's that's the the hobby it has loads of different um different archetypes of people and i'm noticing more and more as i get more into the wargaming side of things it's a whole lot more percentage of the players don't actually get the dice rolling and i'm like i got into this to get my things on the table and have my goblins stab your orcs i want to yeah. see the dice rolling yeah, exactly. We're all here just, or at least in my opinion, I'm here to put some stuff on the table on, on, on the table and roll some dice and have that feeling of what's going on. Um, and I think that 
like there are some absolutely amazing modelers out there and they make absolutely incredible models that I look at and I'm like, I can't buy that because if I print it, it will be destroyed immediately. Like it just, it won't even survive painting, much less being on a table. Like most of the stuff that I make, you can stand on it if you want to, because it, <laughs> it because the, there's like, there's three things, right? Like it has to look like what it is. It has to print easy or at least well. Uh, and then it has to survive a tabletop. And I don't know about you guys, but my tabletops are rough and dangerous places. Uh, and so a model that, you know, looks really good and prints really well because I've supported it really nice. But then when I pull the supports off, you have what I refer to as weak ankle disease. Um, that's not useful because then it's not a useful miniature on the tabletop. I mean, it's why we have to talk about like these resin hacks and special formulas, like the tenacious stuff, no. just so I can do this without worrying. No, that bothers me. That hurts my soul. <laughs> I mean, it's tenacious. I can bend this thing over backwards and it's fine. I actually specifically have never, ever, ever tuned either my resin printer or my two filament printers because I don't want to, I don't want my models to succeed because I've gone above and beyond on my printers. I need it to work on the lowest common denominator piece of garbage printer. And I want to know it works on that. Because honestly, that's what makes it successful, right? Like if I mm -hmm. if I have a printer that's tuned to the nines and I can get it to print, that's cool. But if you can't get it to print and I could, that makes you sad and that's a bad experience for you. And that's mm -hmm. not okay. Like that's not okay at all. Like no other customer service experience would be like that. No other friendship would be like that. And, and that is really true. And I've spoken with other hobbyists that I won't name, so I won't name and shame here, where we've had the conversation where it's like, do you really th think that in order to print models, people should spend eight, nine hours tuning their printer beforehand? And oh. I'm, and they're like, yes. And I'm like, that's how you never grow this hobby. That, yeah, like, we will never that, grow this hobby. Do not grow the hobby. The, 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 the printer needs to plug in and then make the magic models happen with as little hassle as possible. So as a pro filament person, uh, I will argue with you guys a little bit in that you guys are very, from the recent podcasts that I've listened to, you guys are very yeah. excited about the, um, what are they called? Quality of life features on filament 3D printers, like all the yes. auto bed leveling and stuff like it's that. So fun. And I want to fight back against that because <laughs> if my, okay. bed, my bed leveling system has thumb screws and I have mm -hmm. thumbs which means I can level my bed. <laughs> uh, and then if it fails, I know where it failed. I can probably figure out how to fix it. But if an auto bed leveling system fails, I, I'm i at a loss, man. Like, where you am spend, I going to go to fix that thing? Well, you spent three <laughs> weeks complaining about it on the podcast until Elegoo reaches Somebody... out and then we solve it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, I mean, I'm actually just, sad that my garbage prints that I have are no longer sold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still have a oh. good garbage printer for, for, for my... Yeah, yeah like, I yeah. every model you guys see on Thingiverse, I printed on a pair of absolutely untuned, unloved, uncared for uh, any cubic mega S's. Uh, so, like, the cheapest thing you get on Black Friday, like, they were, like, 200 bucks, maybe... Like, you said uncared they, for. Do you like keep them in the closet and tell them they're a disappointment each they evening? They literally are in a closet. They live underneath the resin printer. Uh, 
No, like the only the only tuning that they get is I uh, replace the nozzles every once in a while. That's it. Um, and if they because I do not like again, I do not want to have a, a, a situation in which somebody else can't get a print off because my printers tune better than theirs. That's just not it's not nice. It's not fair. It's not fun. Yeah. Right. Like we want people to, to print their first model and be like, oh, my God, that's cool. Let's do that again. But if you have somebody who prints off their first five models and none of them work, that's a person who does not come back to the hobby. And if you don't come back to this hobby and this is your end to wargaming, well, we just lost a buddy to roll dice with. Yeah. And, and for a lot of people, this is the end to wargaming because especially with the recent price hikes across the board and how much, like even well-meaning companies that don't want to price gouge are having to deal with the uh, Chinese manufacturing mm -hmm. increases that have just like absolutely slaughtered margins across the entire tabletop gaming space. Um, and then, of course, there are the other people that we, we have hinted at where that's not the primary motivating factor for why the prices have quadrupled in the last 10 mm -hmm. years. But 3D printing, for a lot of people, is the only affordable way to continue to war game. Yeah. Can I respond to one of the messages? Sure. Which uh, one? I, leveling my bed was nearly impossible for me once I got an auto bed. Leveling system prints became easy. Prints became easy. Uh, one thing I'd like to say on that, just if you're having trouble with that, the best way I've ever found to level the bed of a filament printer, and this comes from somebody who's been in it just forever, mm -hmm. is um, like I had one of the original, or I been we had one of the original uh, plywood box maker bots. Uh -huh. uh, so for a hot minute, um, make a box that's a little bit smaller than the size of your bed and then do a skirt around it, like set skirts in Cura, set three skirts in Cura, level the bed as best you can with the printer off, right? Put the head in each corner, level it uh, as best you can, then print that file. Don't let the big box print that fills the bed. But what you're going to do is use the skirts and you're going to look at the skirts and see where the skirt gets taller and flatter. And by doing that, you can just keep start starting and stopping that file and keep printing that skirt until you get a really consistent, good seal on that skirt. And then once you've done that, you can actually let the first layer of that box print and see if you're clean across the bottom. Um, and that's just honestly, it's it's very, very low, low tech but it really, really works. Um, the other thing that I would suggest on FDM printers is every kind of bed adhesive magic, all sorts of fancy, expensive surfaces and everything like that. Uh, green painter's tape, it's ghetto, <laughs> it's old, but man, it works. Like it just works. It's expensive. It's like 16 bucks a roll or something like that. But honestly, I've used, I think I go through one roll every three years. I think it's okay. <laughs> That's an acceptable use rate. Uh, but yeah, it's super old school. But yeah, green painter's tape for PLA works a champ. Like you just tape down your whole bed? Yep. So there's just green across the top of my bed. There's just three inch runs essentially across or whatever the thickness of the tape is. Mm -hmm. And then when it gets damaged, you just peel it off. And that way, if you have a print that sticks too well, you just peel off the tape and you just replace the tape. Yep. But Honestly, it works great. Uh, you bring it up to what, like the 50 degrees, I think it is. And then when it comes down, it comes off pretty clean. But you will damage it, right? Because you're digging in with a little scraper. Um, right, right. So you do replace it. It is, it is ablative. 
but because it's ablative, you just treat it as such and keep replacing it when it gets super damaged. Yeah. We have a question from SquarePeg that I think, Wyndham, you might be the best for answering this one. Uh, got a question for Wyndham Graves in the cast. What is the smallest that you are willing to print on an FDM printer? So from a design perspective, I do not do any positive features that are less than half a millimeter because half a millimeter is a 0.4 nozzle going in, going out and back. Um, so it'll go out extruding. And then it, when it comes back into the model, it will just be whatever's left over as it tries to uh, do its retraction. Um, negatives, it doesn't really matter. Uh, unsupported columns i actually avoid almost entirely even if they're very small i generally won't go anything smaller than about a two millimeter square probably even actually bigger than that probably more like a four or five millimeter square uh and, and actually you can just if you have that this question go look through my models and look at the way i've designed them and you can just go through and cure and look at all the layers and you'll see why i do different things because like when you go to the first layer, I also actually cut negatives into my prints. So it doesn't have to do the negative islands of a negative space. It actually does just one perimeter because filament printers are great as long as they can keep extruding forward. As soon as you have to start retracting and re-extruding, you start to get adhesion issues on that first layer. Hmm. But yeah, just if you, and if you have that question and look through my models, see if, see if that answers your question. If it doesn't, then just message me and I'll, I'll walk you through it. I never thought about it. So you actually adjust the model itself, keeping in mind the physical way that the printer pushes goop through a needle. Correct. Yes. So if you look at all those models, if you flip them over, there is actually all this detail done in the bottom to make sure that the first layer prints as absolutely clean as possible. That is that's an incredible amount of detail. Thank you for doing <laughs> well, but that. Everyone was so, so good. So, so here's my thing. Like, right, it takes me probably an hour to take a complete model, maybe, maybe an hour and a half, to take a complete model, cut it up, make it into components that print really cleanly, flat on a FDM printer where you don't need any supports or anything, right? None of these models need supports. Do not turn supports on. They're easy prints for a reason. Just scale to what you want to scale them to and hit go, leave them alone. Um, so adding all the supports, cutting all these negative grooves, cutting it up so it prints clean, cutting it up so you get big flat faces print even with the with the bed, all that stuff takes maybe an hour and a half. <laughs> Considering that most of these things get printed a thousand times, if I save, what is that? If I save uh, three seconds per, per person, that that pays for my time right there mm -hmm. uh or five seconds if i say five, five five seconds per person that that saves my time and if i save literally any failed prints at all it saves my time like mm -hmm. it my time's paid back right, right. Uh, so it's, it's worth it for me to make it a better experience for everybody for those few edge cases because for fdm printers most of the fails are because of the first layer bed adhesion. first layer adhesion mm -hmm. almost always it's first layer adhesion if you're Getting fails above your first layer, there's probably other issues going on, or the model is just jacked. Um, yeah, and somebody just asked, uh, wants to print some small-scale Napoleonic miniatures? Resin printer, bud. I have both for a reason. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that, because I've heard some um, some uh, FDM purists that are just oh, like, there's so, no need you know, to have a resin printer ever. 
It's no, no. FDM printers are fantastic for what they're good at, and they are hot garbage at what they are bad at. Uh, same thing with resin. Like I like there are brackets in this room that are all painted black, so you can't see them. But there are brackets in this room. I would never print mm -hmm. on a resin printer because mm -hmm. that's not what you make brackets out of. But right. the FDM printer, I print brackets all the time. Like if you go to the really old Thingiverse stuff, there are definitely like sous vide cooker bra uh, like brackets in there. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I would I would hesitate to print large hard surface straight edge things in resin because of warping and weirdness. So that's a good call out is that people bitch all the time, people complain all the time about the layer lines in FDM. But once you've painted a model, once you've primed, painted, touched up, done all your detail work, done all your, hob all, all your hobbying on a model, the FDM lines don't bother me nearly as bad as like a warped tank barrel. Mm -hmm. and resin you get large scale warp so when you're printing like big structures and stuff you get warp across it it's like no it looks horrible how do, how are you cool with this like for for fantasy stuff where everything's very organic and there's no real right angles anyway it's fine but once you get into like industry being the thing you got to have right angles that are right um and that's another thing i uh, I, I should note is that don't bother with these big printers Big printers are just going to make you sad. Like they're that that like seven to eight inch size where most printers were for a long time. There's a reason for for, for that, and that's because you start any long line because you get thermal stress. Right as it's very very hot, it cools down and it pulls in. That gets worse the bigger you get, and it gets exponentially worse the uh, um, the the bigger you get. So. When I design, I design for a 180 millimeter plate at 28 millimeters. So you can print for a 28 millimeter game on a standard printer, which is 180 millimeters. Most are around 220, but I don't like to print to the edges because I don't want anybody to have a bad time. Um, so because what I've found is that's essentially where filament printers get clean, square, uh, geometrically correct models. Anything bigger than that, the geometry starts to go out of whack yeah i've got a good example right here um this is a uh, movement trays for kings of war so oh yeah they need to be dimensionally accurate and they just need to hold my models in place and hold my magnets so that they and this is one that i printed in resin before i got my fdm printer and you can actually see like the warps on the edges yeah. and like the weird resin squish and the fact that this is wobbly I would say that's probably uh, two millimeters high at each edge and probably a millimeter high across the front. Mm -hmm. But then filament printer version, and he's, he's perfect. It's nice and everything is, is the exact right height and, and no weird warpies. Yeah. And, and the fact is like, this didn't come out warped. This looked perfect when I pulled it off the printer. Two weeks later, I had problems. Yeah. And to be fair, filament can do the same thing. If you leave a PLA printed object <laughs> in your car in the summer, in the oh, south, no. it will be a weird shape when you pull it out. I actually just, I when we pulled out all of our Christmas decorations, I have a, a, a Lego bush um, mm -hmm. wreath. And that was completely warped because it had something heavy on top of it and had sat in the attic and had just completely warped. It looks cool, but it's, it's still mm -hmm. definitely warped. 
So yeah, don't leave this stuff in your car while you're getting ready for a game in the summer in the south. <laughs> yep. Uh, do you print in PTG to counteract that? Yep. No. Nope. PLA because we're just essentially making making just tons of plastic garbage. I just mm-hmm. can't justify doing it at anything but PLA. Well, we are coming up on time. Anything you want to shout out to? Uh, come support the project if it's something you believe in. If not, don't. You, the, all the models are free on Thingiverse. Uh, yeah, other than that, um, I'll shout out to your uh, employer, One Page Rules. Um, <laughs> they do a pretty good job. Some of the models were a little weak ankled there for a little while, but the new sister stuff seems to be better. So props to ah, the new sisters. I'm digging the new sisters. Uh, Square Peg says, where can you support you at? We will have links, but if uh, Wyndham Graves... Uh, if you are on the Thingiverse already for me, Wyndham, if you just search Wyndham Graves Thingiverse, uh, W-I-N-D-H-A-M-G-R-A-V-E-S uh, Thingiverse, you'll find me, and there's a link to Patreon from there. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to get to me. I'm very easy to find on the internet. Hey, yeah, uh, there's a link. Yeah, there's links a in the chat, but we will have this available in the show notes and in the YouTube comment descriptions and all that fun stuff. That's so, excellent. Yeah, and the one thing I will say is that if you're a person who likes this kind of time period, please come and do join us because then there's a there's a Discord, and that's really where I get all the ideas for my models. Like I have a list of like kind of to do stuff, but mm-hmm. really somebody will just be like a. a so we'd be like, hey, have you seen this? I'm like, nope, let's do one of those. Or, hey, I need one of these for the weekend. Can 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 we get this done this week? Sure, dude. Like, because the thing is, like, this is one of those things going back to to, to teaching of um of it, you're not the only person with the question in the room. If you have the question, somebody else has the question, right? If you want the mod, if you want a bot like one of these models, somebody else probably wants the same thing. They're just not going to ask right or they're or they're too shy to ask or whatever and so don't hesitate right don't hesitate to ask because you're not the only person who wants that thing no matter how weird it gets weirdly (laughs) enough you're not the only person that wants it (laughs) um one last question to to answer because we've had a couple different people ask for it is any recommendation on the resin printer uh, Mars 3 is a wonderful starter printer with headache free. Uh, Mars yeah. 3 Pro with the built in filters is probably one of the better options out there right now. I have an original Photon Mono and it's been doing just fine. Yeah. <laughs> just make sure you get one with a mono screen. Do not get an older. Yeah, God, yeah. If you, yeah, if you like right now, there's a lot of people trying to just get rid of their old LCD screen printers and you can get find like resin printer, 50 bucks. Don't get it. Don't get it. So that's something to say is that I, I personally would never buy a used resin printer. I might like 50, 50 might buy a used filament printer. And even that, like, I want to know that all the things that are wrong, wrong, that are wrong with it are things that I saw go wrong. Right. Because I want that, that mental inventory of all the bustedness of my printers. Um, and lifetimes. Yeah, if you're really, really good at this stuff, buy a used print printer. If you're not good at this stuff, do not buy a used printer. You will just be sad. Yeah, and if this is your first printer, do not buy a used printer. Yeah, yeah. please don't. <laughs> like, well, it's like cars. Like, if you're if if you just get into cars, you don't buy like some '70s muscle car. You buy a new car that's gonna start every morning. 
once you get once you know what you're doing you can have a car where you have to go like mess around with the carburetor before you can get it to start in the cold <laughs> square peg nope. says they have a voxelag proxima which is a mono screen i don't know anything about that printer specifically i've never mixed with a vox lab before but if it's a mono screen resin printer that's standard size that's probably the right printer for you then yep and uh, of course th this will be going out do you know when this podcast is going out uh tonight Oh, tonight. Okay. Yeah. So for, for post Christmas sales, you're probably going to get all sorts of good stuff. Um, one nice thing is they've kind of become commodity, right? Mm -hmm. Like printers are kind of commodity devices now. So you can just get whatever kind of floats your boat in the price range that you're cool with. Mm -hmm. Yep. And there's just so many of them. Like we, we made a joke that's not so much of a joke recently. It's like, well, let's check the news. What, what new printers have Elgu released in the past three days? And, mm -hmm. um, and it's not, they literally are throwing out multiple printers a season, not just a year. Yeah, like I'm, I'm not even keeping up with it because I know that I'll do a bunch of research right before I buy the next one, but there's just no sense in trying to keep up with, with the other one. Yeah. Well, there's right. some sense to listening to our podcast every week guys, to keep yeah, up well, with I it. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I will say that I actually really enjoy your podcast for that reason because I don't have the time to kind of like reach out and keep up with stuff, but you guys do put it together pretty cleanly. Awesome. Well, I think is you just Thank need you. more stuff. It's not fantasy. Come on, <laughs> oh, just keep pointing us in the right direction. Maybe soon we'll get a whole bolt action contingent on here. There you go. I'll find you some folks. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if, if I can find some like chibi anime girls to put on my tanks, I'm totally going to get into more of it. Oh, and that's another thing. Grim, like, at, like after spending a lot of time designing vehicles, the difference between a real-world vehicle and a grimdark vehicle is the same difference between a normal human being and a chibi human being. Mm -hmm. So the next time you think about what a grimdark vehicle is, it's just chibi. It's gothic chibi. <laughs> and grouping those two topics together, Roberto... <laughs> In chat says, dude, those are wonderful models. Talking about your models. Herberto yeah, makes chibi grimdark models. Like excellent. Make me some little like the, the little girls from uh from girls in Pan, Pan from girls in Panther. Do the Patreon collab where you know you, you I, do the tank uh, yeah. and he does that. Yeah, Clearly, I want to do that one. That I would love to, to do that that one. Anybody who <laughs> wants to do that, I'm down for that. Uh, and I also want, this is totally unrelated, but I'm going to do the call out because this is a big group of people who are probably modelers. Um, mm -hmm. I want the guy standing in front of the tank in Tiananmen Square. I want the guy with the shopping bags. I need him. Mm -hmm. And I will do the tank if you do the guy. I will do that. Let's do it. I want it. I want it as a Hopefully historical Hopefully somebody's thing. sculptor's listening who yep. picked it up. Do it. Re 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 reach out and let's do it. And with that said, if you want more of this content, you can find us over at printyourgames.com where you'll find all of our back issues as well as links to all the socials and doobly-doos. And you will always be able to support us there. If you want to support the podcast, the best way you can do so is by leaving us a five-star review. If you think we're five-star, I think we're five-star, over on <laughs> iTunes and Spotify, or by sharing the podcast or giving us like, comment, subscribes on the YouTubes. That just anything to help get the our name out there and help more people discover the podcast. And until next time, I'm Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param. I'm Chris and Sowers, also known as Seventh Mastery. Don't forget to use your screen protector or green painter's tape, apparently. Yes. Painter's tape sounds better than hairspray.
Bye-bye.